Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel according to John chapter 8. The Gospel according to John chapter 8 will be starting with verse 1. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been judged on your looks? The clothes you wear, your hairstyle. Maybe something you're born with. Now, I must say, I mean, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, I mean, there are, there are people all over the place that look at themselves in the mirror and don't like what they see. I want you to know that you are, when you look in the mirror, exactly what God intended you to be. So, what you see as a flaw, God sees as a purpose. There are no such things as flaws when it comes to God and his creation. Everything he does is for a purpose, and it's, that purpose is always for the good. Always for the good. So, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were a very judgmental lot. And they expected people to toe the line when it came to the law. Now, I don't believe that this scenario we're going to read would have ever happened had it not been for the fact that she was the bait for the test or the trap that they were trying to set for Jesus. Says so specifically that when Jesus came in, that his purpose was to teach them. We'll read that in just a minute. He sat down and began to teach them. So he was interrupted in a teaching moment. So my question is this as much judgment as we see the world handing out when they look at other people, what do you think the second person of the Trinity saw when he looked around? Because I can tell some of you what your sin is. I can't tell all of you what all of your sin is. Because some of that's locked behind whatever purposes inside your brain and in your heart seem justifiable to you to keep it there. I mean, it's just a fact. If, if it wasn't worth it to us, it wouldn't be there. But it's there. And we all have it. Every one of us. We struggle with something in our lives. All of us do. So when Jesus walked, if Jesus walked into this church right now, how much could he judge? I mean, how much could he rightfully stand here where I am, point at every person in this building, and point out every bad thing that that person has done? The difference is, what did the scribes and Pharisees see when they looked at an adulterous woman? They saw a lawbreaker. What do you suppose Jesus saw when he looked at that woman? He saw pain and suffering. He didn't see her as someone who should have been condemned, but he saw her as someone that should be invested in. Because we're a throwaway culture. And you've heard me say many times, and in sermons I've said it many, many times, when you walk into Walmart to buy a fan, 
And there are two sitting there, and one of them has had the top busted open, been retaped, and the other one just has the factory sealed staples in it. Which of the two do you buy? You buy the one that's factory sealed, right? Why? Because you think there might be something wrong with the one that's been retaped, right? When Jesus walks into Walmart to buy a fan, does he buy the one that's factory sealed or the one that's broken? He buys the broken one. He buys the broken one. So I want you to hear this. When we read this passage of scripture, I want you to hear where the scribes and Pharisees' heart is at from what they see, and then hear Jesus' heart from where he's at from what he sees. And we'll get a little clearer picture about who Jesus really is. Starting with verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him before we say anything about what he did now. This was a trap. Jesus went, in, Jesus went into the temple and he sat down. The temple still ruled under the, Judeo, the Judeo-Judean system. They still operate under the law. Again, grace is not here yet. Jesus is still alive. Amen? So these men were testing Jesus. They fully expected Jesus to be someone who would take their side, but they also knew what it would do to Jesus in the eyes of all the people if they brought this adulterous woman in and Jesus said, absolutely, let's follow 2,000 years of tradition, stone her to death. That's what they expected him to do. I mean, it's his word, right? I mean, what are the old, according to the Old Testament law, what are the consequences for committing adultery? To be stoned to death. That was the penalty. That's what the law said. I take these next few verses very interesting, though. Start with six again. They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Jesus is writing on the ground. And they begin to push him. Do we stone her, Jesus? She broke the law. The law's clear. We need to stone her. And Jesus has stooped down and it says he's writing on the ground. And I've said this many times before too. What do you think Jesus was writing? I believe wholeheartedly that he was writing the sins of the men who were the accusers on the ground right in front of him. That's why he stooped up and said what he said. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He just wrote on the dirt what some of these guys' sins were. And then after he said that, what does it say he did right after that? He stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Once wasn't enough. They continued to accuse him. Stone the adulterous woman. Stone her. She deserves it. She's broken the law. Jesus is right. And then I believe he's right in the sins of those men. 
And they continue to persist. So Jesus stands up and he says, whoever among you is without sin, let him be the first one to hit her with a rock. And he stooped back down, he started writing again. And I believe that he just continued to write the sins of the people on the ground who were the accusers. Because he knows it. He knew when the scribes and Pharisees came in and they brought this adulterous woman that their intent was not just to trap him, but their intent was to push forth what they believed, that the law had a greater authority than the Christ. It doesn't. Did you know the law don't apply to you? And it shouldn't have to. That was the kicker. I'll say it again. Did you know the law don't apply to you? How does the law not apply to me? Because if you're saved by grace, what did Paul say? All things are all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. There's nothing you can do if you're genuinely saved to remove yourself from the graces of God. You can't do it. It's impossible. But somebody has stepped in a whole new danger role. If they fully accept the responsibilities that God has, has invited them into, and then they intentionally and intently, for whatever whim or reason, they disregard a human life, and don't see it as an opportunity for restoration, but they see it as an opportunity for destruction. And Jesus writing on the ground, this was him saying, go ahead, those of you who were without sin, you throw the first stone. Why did he say that? Because he's writing on the ground. Go ahead, hit her. Then I'm gonna say what you did and you get the next one. And you, you're gonna, you're, I'm gonna tell everybody what you did too and you're next. So yeah, let's start throwing rocks. This is where the old saying, don't throw rocks at people who live in glass houses. If you live in a glass house also, and as Christians, we do. We throw rocks at people who live in glass houses all the time thinking that our glass house is impenetrable. When the truth is, every one of us are dirt bags. That's the truth. There is nothing inside of us that is good apart from Christ. We are selfish. We are ruthless. We are terribly destructive as human beings. We will rip people down and never even feel sorry for it. We'll make judgment calls that will determine whether or not we will share the gospel with them. I fully expected some negative comments about us watching the, uh, keeping the Ugandan children's choir at camp for two days. I've known a, new, a few Southern Baptists who are racist. We had one a long time ago, not here anymore. Been gone for a long time. The man sat in the church. He told me, he said, if a black man ever comes into this church, I'm leaving. I said, I'll open the door for you. Why? Because you don't judge a man by the color of his skin. You don't judge a man by the clothes on his back. You don't judge the man on his, based on his haircut. You don't judge the man based on the last time that he had a shower. You don't judge a man based on one fit. You don't judge a man based on circumstances that are outside of, of his understanding of what control is. Because the truth is, if they're not a believer, what, what should we be doing? Telling them about Jesus. And if they are a believer, what, what should we be, be doing? 
encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. As Jesus comes closer and closer to coming back, life's going to get harder and harder and harder. It's going to become more difficult for people to hear God. It's going to be, become more difficult for people to follow God because there are going to be consequences. In somebody's generation, somebody's going to pay a hefty price for believing in Jesus. And what are we doing? We're pointing out people in their clothes, the cars they drive, the way that we think they smell. Really, that's all of the things that Jesus worries about. To me, it's, it is, it's breathtaking to me that this woman who was engulfed in the most heinous sin of the day, Jesus could look upon her and say, you can, I can fix that. Anybody ever give up on you? Tell you that it's hopeless? If you had the ability to get out of it by now, you'd have got out of it by now. Might as well just give up because that's who you are. The truth is you are who you are. And thank God that means nothing. Because if you believe in Jesus, it's much more important about Jesus being who Jesus is than it is about you being about who you are. Because with him, who you were yesterday don't have to be the same person today. Because when you make a mistake, he's not going to be the one standing around going, yep, get your rocks, folks. It wasn't that he necessarily left, let her off easy either. Verse 9 says, when they heard it, when they heard him actually say, let him who is without, without sin cast the first stone. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either go now sin no more the one who had the holiness the righteousness the right the one who could have struck this woman down for the traps that she's fallen into for the decisions and the choices that life have led her to that she's made the wrong ones and he doesn't see he doesn't see her going crazy he doesn't see a woman who is useless or is hopeless he sees someone that he has the opportunity to say what you've been doing is not okay I'm not going to stone you to death for what you did I'm going to provide you an opportunity to find a better life. And the only way you're going to find it is for you to willingly, not by force, not because somebody is pushing it on you, not because there's a chance you're going to take a rock to the, to the chrome dome, but just because you know in Jesus, tomorrow is more hopeful. And that just because we're something yesterday doesn't mean that we are today. 
What do you think the scripture means when it talks about us dying daily? Every day. If our relationship is active, if we're people who have a relationship with God, every day, our face-to-face experiences with Jesus, they're going to expose some things in our lives. They're going to create a little bit of um, conviction. And in order for Jesus to continue to sanctify us physically on this earth, we have to be people who are willing to be the, the box that's been retaped. All of us, not just the people who make the biggest mistakes. Whether big mistakes or small, small mistakes. Because I'm telling you now that if you really believe under any circumstances that you are that factory sealed box, Jesus is going to have nothing to do with you. You say, well, that's a pretty judgmental preacher. Oh, think about it. If you can't be taught, what can Jesus teach you? If you can't be changed, is he going to invest? No. That's why it's required for us as individuals to come to the point in our lives where we are willing to reflect inside of us. And we're willing, not because somebody else is willing to point our flaws out, we're willing to look deep in our hearts and validate those things in our lives. Remember the things that cause the most damage, the most hurt, the most pain. Those are the things you want to put in the category that you try never to do again. It doesn't happen just by desire. It happens by having a relationship with Jesus and knowing that regardless of the mistake you make today, you're forgiven for that, but not for the sake of making that same mistake tomorrow. He wants us to learn. From now on, sin no more. He says, hey, sin just almost literally cost you your life. They didn't condemn me. I'm not going to condemn you either. But what's the flip side of this? If you think you just got away with this and you're going to go out there and just keep doing what it is that you're doing, you're going to end up stoned to death. Because Jesus ain't going to be there every time. So Jesus puts a balance in here that people tend to forget or miss altogether. No, I'm not going to condemn you, but knock it off what he's saying no I'm not going to condemn you but would you stop it in other words what are we if not people who are built on making mistakes and correcting them and everybody's terrified to even admit that they're capable of making mistakes these days because that's unchristian no that's absolutely Christian not one of us are perfect we're all sinners saved by grace all of us are it doesn't matter what color you are, how tall you are, where you, where you were born in the world. It doesn't matter how you were raised. None of these things matter when it comes to God. Did you notice that most, cultural, most uh, religions are cultural? Christianity's not. It bleeds into every culture. And God reaches people through that. And his expectations, and I hate that word, reasonableness of a believer is for him to say, here is my word, read it, believe it, and carry it. But I say again, folks, don't answer this out loud. How many times did you open your Bible this week? Not counting the, the, the times you were inside this building. 
for some people, your relationship could be where it's at. But the honest answer to the question, if God's word's supposed to guide us, comfort us, strengthen us, if it's supposed to sanctify us, then why is it that that seems to be the one thing that gets the least amount of priority in it? Because it's not, I don't get a bonus the more scripture you memorize. That's not how this works. This is an incentive-based work. It's not like God says, you gotta meet your quota or I'm gonna strip salvation for five days. Be careful. He doesn't work like that. We're all on the same path, folks. If we're believers in Jesus, we are all aliens in a foreign land. And if we're individuals that are saying things that the world don't like, they're going to treat us badly. And I'm sorry if this hurts in any way, but I want so much for you to be treated badly. It didn't even sound right, did it? But what happens to those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? What happens to them? They will be persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my namesake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When they hate you, just know they hated me first. When Jesus started his ministry, did he just glide through and not make waves? Or when he started his ministry, was he making as big a waves as he could possibly make? Man, he come out, barrels blazing. Nobody in their right mind could say that Jesus lived three and a half years on this planet and didn't suffer. Because he constantly had people over that three and a half years who was trying to take his life. And you know what it was all about? It wasn't about people hating Jesus. It was about people loving everything contrary. It dawned on me one day because I never could figure that out. I'm like, how does this make any sense? Jesus comes and extends salvation to us and we punch him in the nose. That makes no sense. But then I realized that they weren't responding to the potential gratitude of the act. They're responding to the threat of them losing something. Because, hey, I got news for you. If you place your trust in Jesus Christ and you think you're going to be sexually active outside of the guidelines that God gives you, there's no peace in that. He will not let up. Matter of fact, there's a good chance you can't even go through with it if you're a believer because he will not let up. He is our conscience. He is our limits. He is the one that tells us that we're worthy even though we are forced to admit that we are so not worthy. I deserve to be stoned to death. I'll say it out loud many times over. The things I've done in my life, and, and I could give the list of people, well, those aren't that terrible. You have no idea how terrible those things are because you don't know what it takes to push people away from Calvary and how much of the lifestyle that I lived apart from Christ did that. 
Then you think about how your actions as a Christian could do the exact same thing. So if somebody hurts us, what does he say we do? Love them. Forgive them. Help them. How does that make any sense? Again, just because you see somebody as the enemy doesn't mean God sees them as the enemy. Just because we see someone as intolerable doesn't mean that God thinks they're intolerable. Just because we look at people and say it's hopeless does not mean that it's hopeless. Because if you want to see, if you really want to see, look through the eyes of Christ. The one who sees an adulterous woman and has compassion and not conviction. We can take lessons from Jesus through this. Everything that he gives us is an example of the person that we are that we're supposed to be to other people. And he did amazing things. Man, he held the religious leaders. He held them to account. Anytime they said or did something they wasn't supposed to, he even used names. He name-called. I mean, typically somebody would say, well, that was kind of rude to call people names. But think about why. Why did he call the Pharisees a brood of vipers? It's because when somebody comes close, they strike and they poison them. He says, you make a convert and turn them turn into twice the son of hell that you are. Yeah, he said that out loud. Just the religious leaders, he just said, everybody that you convert is twice as unlikely to go to heaven as you are. Said it out loud. You see, when Jesus seen something happening that was suppressing you, he stepped in. And that was whether it was judgment or even pacificity. Our lives being, being led by God means that we have to look at individuals and we have to look at circumstances and we have to look beyond the pain and look beyond the issues and it's never fun. I guarantee it's never fun. But if you look beyond the speed bumps and you look beyond the walls that Satan's throwing up, what's beyond the speed bumps and what's beyond the wall? The fulfillment of God's purpose and plan. And every one of our lives are like that, folks. Either we'll climb the speed bump and we'll knock the wall down, or we'll climb the speed bump and stand at the door and rack our head off of it for the rest of our lives. But there are people that are out there who are just like this woman. The world is pressing down on her. It's making her into everything that she's not, along with everything that she is. It, in and of itself, decreases the chances of improvement. How many of you guys have ever had anything positive happen in your life because someone was pressuring you? It doesn't happen. 
Jesus don't want to pressure you. Conviction's pressure? That's not pressure. The world, the world will show you what pressure is. Conviction? That's actually the story that that's the voice that Elijah heard. The still small one. We still don't like to be told what we're doing is not right. But to be honest with you, I'm being treated in ways by Christians that I never imagined in my life I'd be treated. For no reason. You get mad. You get driven. You get emotional. If you're mad, driven, and emotional, what are the chances that God's will is going to come out of that? Look beyond the speed bump. Look beyond the wall. Look beyond the mountain. Whatever you got to climb in order to get there, you got to look beyond it. Because everything that you find to that point is going to discourage you. This woman was in the temple, not only with no hope, but for all intents and purposes, given all of Jewish history, this woman was going in that temple to die. How many of you were on your way to death before you met Jesus? And instead of him looking on us and condemning us for all of the dumb things that we've chose, many of which get us into the situations we're in, and he looks at us and he says, nobody's going to condemn you and I'm not going to either. But how about you pay attention and just see the fact that this stuff's not good for you. It's not good for my plan. It's not good for my purpose. It's not good for the people around you. It's not good for the people that you come across that you don't know. Because if the love of Christ is not first and foremost on our minds, we will get lost in the darkness. We will become people who are just dogmatic in our belief systems and sling around things that are hurtful, that do all kinds of damage to people. That's not who God intends us to be. Have I had to do things that I didn't like to do? Yes. The authority of a pastor, sometimes it calls for things that I don't, I don't know a pastor who likes being put into those situations. Church discipline's biblical. But do you know what the worst penalty of church discipline is? Excommunication. That's it. Not death. Not prison. All Jesus wants is if you choose that life, and that's the life you want to live, and you have no intentions whatsoever or no desire to come out of it, then go be with your kind. And that's the truth. You want to trust in Jesus? Then trust in him. No game plan. If you're going to fight, kick, and scream through Christianity, I promise you that I will link elbows with you and there are more people in this church who will do the same and we will drag you however we have to to get you through the hard times. Because if you say that Jesus is who he says that he is, 
than I happen to know probably as much as anyone else. But there is a lot of hope there. I can't make you choose Christ. But I can make sure that you constantly and consistently hear that he's the answer. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, he's the answer. Not what everybody else has made him to be, but who he is in his attributes and in his character. The love that he shows, the forgiveness that he shows. There are people in this world that those attributes have been extended to. They're called mature Christians. The ones who can walk into a situation and rather than do what we want to, which sometimes just flat punch somebody in the nose, we love them. When they hate us, we love them. They can endanger our lives and our well-being and we will love them. Because to Jesus, that person's no less worthy than you are. And to be honest with you, I think over the last couple decades, we've gotten a little too big for our britches. Taking on things God never told us to. And missing the things that are the simple things that he asked us to. Who condemns you? I'm asking you that question. Not the woman. Who condemns you? Today, for every sin that you have committed, who condemns you? Your neighbor? Your spouse? Your kid? The jerk working in Walmart? Maybe the gas station? Who condemns you? No one, Lord. I'm going to paraphrase it in closing. Who's killing you over what you just did? Nobody? I'm not going to kill you either, but do me a favor. Try better next time. And if you're genuinely a believer, you're going to try better next time. Because that's what we do. And that's how we become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. By reading the word of God, the Holy Spirit convicts us because we are contrary to it. That conviction is made to mold us and make us into the image of Christ so that those who are lost and hurting, those individuals can hear the gospel from our mouths and can see it exhibited through our actions. There's hope. There's more than hope. The question is, where do you choose to put the light in your house? Say you're building a house. Building a house, all right? Build yourself a nice living room. Do you put your light bulbs in the corner? I mean, you're putting ceiling mounted lights in do you put your light do you put your light fixtures in the corner of the room why not because it doesn't spread the light evenly where's jesus in the lives of a lot of christians where's the light 
Is it in the center of the room where it shines the most? Or do we have it strategically placed so that some light may not hit some areas? So the simple question in this whole sermon is this. Jesus, what is the next, what's the next section down? Did you, you, you look at the next section down? What is Jesus? He's the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. So my question to you as we close today is this. Where'd you put your light? Is it even on the ceiling? Hide it under a bush? Oh no. It's funny, our electricity just went out a couple weeks ago. And it dawned on me that every candle I lit, I put up high. Why? Why doesn't I just light candles and lay them all over the floor? Because it's not practical. Because my eyes are not down there. Six and a half foot tall, you get more light in the room if you're not sitting in the floor with chairs there shadowing and walls shadowing. You sit at a pie where nothing shadows, it spins like the whole room. So the question in closing is that one. Where's your light? Is it in the center of the room? Did you push it to a corner somewhere? If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then this is a message you just walk away from saying, you know what, maybe I do need to check where my light's at. Because what does that mean? It's the moral compass. It's the check on us, the balance on us that Scripture provides. It's us to be able to look at our lives and, to, and, and knowing what we know, only what we know about Jesus. Am I where he thinks I should be? Does that mean you got to move a little? Maybe it means you got to move a lot. For some of you, maybe it means you don't have to move at all. You're right in the right spot. But I can promise you this. We will never lead anybody to the Lord that we're critical towards. Judgment does not bring about mercy. Those are quite the opposite. When you walk today, just try thinking about the other more than yourself. Take on the heart of Christ. Look through the eyes of Christ. I think that you'll be shocked at what you see. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I don't know what to tell you other than to say, if you've been searching your whole life for a solution to the problem, and I mean that universally, to maybe feeling like you fit without having to be trimmed, a place, a purpose, a life to its fullest, these are the promises that Christ made. But these promises aren't fulfilled just by somebody saying, I want that. They're fulfilled by somebody making a commitment to do the best to push out unrighteousness until it hurts, if not kills you. Because sin should be painful. If we're looking for that solution, and you'll spend the rest of your life looking for it if you're avoiding Jesus.
and you will cause a hundred times the damage to your life by trying to find your own solutions than you would by just submitting to his. The gospel message is powerful at any time of the day, at any day of the week, any week of the year. You're not required to stand in a church to trust in him. Because that would just be another standard that man places on an action. Jesus wants a relationship. And that means if it's a real relationship, we're respecting for who he is. When we hurt him, we hurt. We don't want to be displeasing to him. We want to do what's right. It's not easy. In many ways, it gets harder. But the difference is you start hurting for people, for people's sake. Instead of hurting based on consequences of your own actions. And I'm here to tell you, it's a lot better to hurt for someone else than it is to hurt for yourself. When your heart starts to bleed for the sinner, when it really starts to recognize what it is that people on this planet are missing. You see, this is why the passion for camp has been as strong as it has for as long as it has. Because I watch kids go down and they come back changed. It's almost miraculous. I bumped into a lot of them lately. They have kids now. Some of them many. And when you see the results of all of the hurt that you've gone through, and you see that Jesus took it to levels that you could have never imagined, you become a little bit more willing to hurt for the right reasons and a little less willing to hurt for the wrong ones. Because every bad thing we do hurts people and every good thing that we do helps them. And that used to matter. It actually drove our choices. Charity was something that was even never asked for. It just happened. And love slipping. I see Christians going too far one way or the other not caring about the consequences and the destruction I'm tired of watching people hurt I'm tired of hurting myself why? because it's unnecessary It's unnecessary. Jesus wants a relationship. Not a I believe in him. A relationship. One that when you want to react like a human being stops you in your tracks and says that does not accomplish my purpose. If you're here today and you've never known true forgiveness never known true value I can promise you that you'll only find it in one place and that's in Jesus because he's the one that took what was useless and made it useful 
He's the one that took what deserved to be condemned. And he saved it. How far was he willing to go? The big mean God who always controlled people in the Old Testament sent his son in baby form for the entire purpose of growing to be an adult, to live the perfect life for three and a half years, and to die for you and I. He's proven it all along the way. He's never let me down. My eyes are open. You want to be saved? Jesus is the only one that can do it. Are you saved? Are you reaping the benefits of that salvation? Every one of the answers to those questions, they're going to make a difference when you walk out of here today and ponder this message. And I hope and pray that you will yield to the Holy Spirit and that God may move you in ways that you've never been moved before. Where you've been weak, not finding the energy, that he may be the little extra that you need to make it over. Because he does that for us. He loves us. You want to trust in him during this invitation time while this music's playing? Come up here and tell me you want to be saved. I can't save you, but I would be happy to sit and talk to you for as long as it takes about the one that can. Believer, don't walk out of here and be who this preacher tells you to be. It's not what I'm after. The eyes of Christ, the heart of Christ, they'll never lead you wrong. Follow them. Use them. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.